Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Nick Tarter. I want to thank you for listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Bethany, Oklahoma, learning what it looks like to be in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, so that our world can be saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. We invite you to join us on this journey, and we hope that this content will help you to grow to be the person God created you to be. Thank you, Pastor Nick, and good morning to everybody. We're glad you're listening, glad you're here, and uh, I have a few things on my heart that I believe the Lord has laid upon me in the last several weeks that uh, will fit right in probably to everyone's life. And so I'm calling, I'm entitling this sermon, a Sila moment, Sila moment. You may find that word Sila, may have heard of it uh, pronounced other ways, Sela, but uh, Sela is what I've been used to. And uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what that word means. First of all, how many of you have read in Psalms and every once in a while in the midst of a Psalm over at the edge of the line it'll have Selah and you may have wondered what that meant well I used to wonder what it meant and it took me many years before I decided that that I would find out and one of the one of the things that's easy to understand about why that little word is there is that it is a musical rest and you can look up in commentaries all over the place you'll find a lot of different opinions about what the word means but think about it like this. I think this is the general understanding. Selah, or selah, means a rest as you would find in music. And suddenly there's notes, and then there's a rest, and then the notes start up again. I can remember in about grade school or junior high, we had a music teacher. And the music teacher asked the kids one day, which is more important, the notes or the rest? Well, everybody thought for a while, and somebody raised their hand and said, well, the notes are the most important thing, because if it wasn't for the notes, you wouldn't have any music. And that's true. But at the same time, rests are in there for a reason. Now, the idea of a rest is that it is a pause between notes. And it may come for a long time or a short time, but the idea of... A rest is just as important to the effect for the effect of the music as the notes are. You can't have sound without notes, but you can't have emphasis without a rest. So think about this. If you have an amplified Bible and you look up, uh, you read in the Psalms, it'll translate it as a pause and calmly think about that. It'll have some writing, God is great, God is good, Selah. And then it'll go back and have some other things. Well, the idea is when those psalms were played on a harp or as music, then there would be notes, and then there would be a rest. And the idea of the rest is you should think about that. Pause about and listen to what's said and think about that calmly. Now, when you think about that musically, the notes have been playing a certain way, and then all of a sudden the rest comes, the quiet comes. Now, what happens during the quiet time? Well, during the quiet time, during the rest, you're thinking about what you have just heard. You're thinking about what has happened. And at the same time, you're getting ready for the time when the notes start up again. And maybe they will be completely different than what you heard before. 
So let's think about Selah and a Selah moment that in the midst of what we are experiencing now as a nation and as a planet, we are experiencing something and all of a sudden things have stopped. So many things that you were used to doing a month or a year ago, you're not doing anymore. Okay? So if we think about that, like Selah says, we will probably experience the purpose and the desire of the notes that have been playing. Now, <clears throat> not long ago, a few weeks back, a friend of mine called me and said, oh, I've got a, uh, I've got a scripture that the, I feel like the Lord gave me that is so, uh, so good that it just really fits what we're experiencing right now. And that scripture, that verse was Isaiah 26:20. Now, maybe you're familiar with this. Let me read it to you. And I'm reading out of the <clears throat> New International Version Bible. Isaiah 26, 20 says, Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until his wrath has passed by. Now, I just thought that fit in real good because that was about the time we were hearing the first seeds being planted about quarantine. So God was speaking to his people back in Isaiah and the things that they were experiencing, God wanted them to think about, to pause and think about that. So that's some of my word to you today, is whatever you're experiencing that's different. You've been locked up at home, you've been job shut down, business not there anymore, whatever's happening, uh, losses, pause and think about that. In the midst of that, what has happened? Calmly think about that. That's what the word says. Now, when something that's a regular routine or practice in your life is suddenly and abruptly halted and you can't do that anymore, it's a real shock. So pause and think about that. Okay? This is a normal occurrence in our spiritual journey with Christ. There's many times that God intervenes and interrupts things that we thought were going to go on forever. These things have always worked for me, but now I can't do them anymore. Well, why? Pause and think about that. That's the best time to hear God is when we're thinking quietly. So in the midst of our journey with Christ, we're used to challenges. We're used to new things or different takes on the old things. The more biblical term is shaking. God shakes us. God shakes nations. God shakes the church. God sh shakes the individuals in their individual walk that together make the corporate body. And scripture is full of various ways that shakings have taken place. Shakings through the centuries have come in all sorts and sizes. In the last few weeks, the Lord, excuse me, the, the world has experienced what many of people have just called a plague, a challenge, but God's people should view it as a shaking. Now, I heard another preacher on the internet a couple of days ago say this particular shaking, this worldwide shaking, is the only time since the flood that God was shaking the whole world at the same time. And when we listen to the news, we find out, you know, countries, all different kinds of countries all over the place are being shaken by this sickness. So what is God saying in the midst of that? 
He has something to say. Because this is a time when we have been deterred from our usual path. The notes have been playing in a certain way, but now the Selah moment requires us to pause and calmly think about, God, what are you saying? What are you doing to your people? For me, how are you changing me? How are you changing nations? What is God doing? Here's the thought. In the book of Genesis, Joseph had so many bad things happen to him, betrayed by his family and so on. And at the end of <clears throat> the time when his brothers and he were reunited, he said to them, you meant what you did to me for bad. God meant it for good. That's a good place to start in your thinking. In a Sela moment, that's a good thing to start, to start thinking. Whatever looks bad, God can change for good. Okay? Now, you may not see how. You may not know how he's going to do it or exactly uh, when or, or how. But know this. God can take a very bad thing and change it into good. God is greater than the plague. God is greater than the flu. God is greater than our financial problems. So he wants us to look to him. And at a time of pressure is a time when we certainly need to look to God because there's nothing else that can help us when it comes to uh, coming a time when we're pressed, pressed unto death, when we're pressed unto not knowing anything about what we're supposed to be doing. An old saying I picked up one time was, there's nothing like necessity to pressure you into the will of God. And I would say it's true in my own life. There's many times when I was going on my merry way, the notes were playing, but when the Sela moment came, I realized change is coming. Okay? Now, we can view our present circumstances as totally bad. We can look at it that way. But we can also view it as an opportunity for our good God to change ourselves, to change our church congregations, to change our nation, if we pause and calmly think about Christ. You know, when you're wanting to get quiet before God, the noisome pestilence, all the things in our mind, you know, are competing for our attention. The only way to get rid of that is to continue to wait and ask God to clear it out. All right? Clearing out your mind, getting quiet before God, is a very, very important thing for Christian people to learn in their prayer life. Now, God interrupts us. He has a habit of doing that because he's greater than our circumstances, because he's leading us in places where we've never been before in our lives, in our character, in our growth, in his purposes for us as a body, as the church. And here's a good example of God shaking somebody's life up. There's many examples in Scripture. In Acts 9, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a religious expert of the day, a man who was advancing beyond his years in wisdom because he was a young man, had, had obtained permission from his religious, religious authorities that he would go to Damascus and persecute believers who had decided that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And he didn't like that. And so he got permission to go and persecute them. On the road to Damascus, God knocked him off his high horse, you might say. He knocked him, struck him blind, and from that moment forward, it changed his whole life. 
And we know, certainly because we know of Scripture, Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. That which looked bad for him at first, that changed his attitude, was completely changed. And things changed in his life to living so that he would live in God's way, in God's pattern, in God's presence. What was the end product? He wrote a little over half of the New Testament. So major change. I'm sure he didn't see that at first. He didn't see anything. He was struck, he was struck blind. But at the same time, God was at work. It was hard for him, I'm sure. He had to relearn a lot of things. A lot of the old music that he might have been listening to was no good, no more. And so that's the nature of a shaking, and it comes. In Haggai 2, and if we can put that up, I don't know if you can see that, but we'll put that up on the, and let me read from Haggai. Well, you may be finding it in your Bible. Haggai 2. First, let me talk about the setting. For a long time, God's people, Israel, had been a, gone through a time of unfaithfulness, of worshiping idols, uh, having all kinds of wrong thinking about God and wrong thinking and wrong thinking about the word and disobedience to the word. <clears throat> so, what happened was, in the, in the idea that they were going to reap what they sowed, they had sowed all kinds of seeds to false gods and worshiping, ignoring the one true God. And so God had sent prophets, Jeremiah for one, and told them that the Babylonians are going to come, destroy your city, Jerusalem, and you're going to be taken into exile for 70 years. At the end of the 70 years, I will, re I will release you back to your homeland. So Haggai was one of the prophets that was sent during the time of rebuilding of the temple after they had been released after the 70 years. So the setting was that the previous temple, which had been built by King Solomon, which was very beautiful, you'll find descriptions of it in the in the, in the Bible, had been torn down and destroyed and burned. The city burned, walls torn down all over the place by the Babylonians. And the Jews, God's people, were taken away from their homeland for 70 years. Now, that was the beginning of a judgment. That was the beginning of a change in direction for, the, for those people, for that whole generation. Many of them never saw their promised land again. Many of them that were born in the time of the captivity only had heard about the promised land and the temple it used to be. Many were born during that 70 years and died without ever being able to go back and hear about all the stories that had happened in their family history. Okay, but think about this. Do you think there might have been some priests during that 70 years that sat around and maybe complain something like this. What did we do to merit this? We were doing everything right. You know, I think we were making sacrifices right, and we were doing all this stuff. Uh, I'm sure they were <clears throat> recognizing God was giving them a time to pause and think about this. They shook their, this time of 70 years, away from their promised land, their homeland. They 
had their theology shaken. They had their faith shaken. They had their comfort zones shaken. They couldn't go anywhere that they wanted to. They probably lost loved ones. But maybe after 40 or 50 years of sitting around complaining and wondering what God was doing, they might have concluded that, hmm, the truth is we actually weren't doing what God wanted us to do. We wished we were. We thought we were. We had, but we hadn't really been faithful to God's commands. We had just rationalized and thought we were being holy and obeying God. Now that took a long time of <clears throat> pausing and thinking about that, I'm sure, before in their hearts the people were willing to change. And God had prophets there in the captivity with them that spoke God's word to them, that called them back. So it was a time of turning for unbelievers and it was a time of returning for those who had been obedient maybe at one time in their life, but they went with the flow of the world at that time. They went with the flow of unbelievers at that time and ended up being <clears throat> very unholy and idolatrous. At the right time, God delivered, sprung his people from their exile and let them go back to their homeland and rebuild. Now, I didn't say that he let them go back to the way things used to be. It doesn't mean that he allowed everything to just go on as it has been, and this was just a speed bump in the road. But rather, he returned them to the place where they were really called to be, but with a different attitude, with a different heart, with a different set of desires. Now, in Haggai, Haggai 2, and let me read a little bit here. Haggai 2, <clears throat> on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah. Now, Zerubbabel was a guy who was kind of like the general contractor. He was the guy that was in charge of getting the temple rebuilt. And so it took them quite a while to do this. But this is being said at the time of completion. And so it moves on here. Let me move down to uh, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Okay. That means that there were some people there that were past 70 years old that had seen how great Solomon's temple was and what it was like to live in a place where it was close to the life of King David, where, you know, the, the nation had been blessed. They were uh, walking all, all over their enemies. Everything was good and everything was easy and everything was prosperous. How many of you remember those times? And some of the ones that were there hearing this word probably responded, I do. I remember it was, I remember when I was a child and what God was doing in those days. But now we've gone to another place where God was chastising us, but now we're back. But the first thing they noticed was this temple that you built is not as glorious as the one we used to have. I remember the good old days, and these aren't a replica of the good old days. Okay? That was a revelation of something that was wrong in their attitude. Don't, don't think always, <clears throat> there's a 
a proverb that says something, goes something like this, thinking about the good old days. Why, don't say, why were the good old days better than these? Because it is not by wisdom that you're inquiring of this. No matter what your life used to be like, no matter how good it used to be, God brings change. And sometimes he slims us down. Where we recognize that a lot of the things that I lived for aren't near as important as what God wants me to live for now. So that's exactly what was taking place right here. Well, we wanted the temple, we wanted the rebuilding to be like it was in the good old days. Well, sorry, that wasn't what God ordered. So he goes on and it says, uh, verse 3, Who of you is left who saw the house in the former glory? How does it look now? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Let's stop there. Now, maybe what God slims down from our lives during a time of shaking, now it seems like what is left for us is not much of anything. But I was doing this. I had this. I had this kind of job. I had these kind of relationships. I like to go here. I like to do that. I like to spend my time doing this. And now God comes along and diminishes or cuts a lot of that stuff out for us. Why? Because they're not part of his plan about where he wants to take us. As an individual, as a, as a nation, as a body, as a corporate body. Okay. And then he says, and I'm going to go through this <clears throat> rest of this uh, chapter here after this happens then he he encourages them to be strong verse four but now be strong yeah i know things used to be a certain way but now be strong the 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 past is over it's done for you know it may have some effect on us but it doesn't have the right to pull us back away from god's will so as we pause and think about that Maybe God is speaking something to us about the way we do things, about our attitudes, about our prayer life, about things that we think God has wanted us to do, but now he's showing, no, that wasn't, that wasn't the way I wanted you to go. This is the way I want you to go. Okay? Now, he says in the midst of that, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Now think about that. First thing he says, okay, this is after the shaking is over and now they're landing and God is giving them new, new, marching, or, new marching orders. And he says, be strong. Now let me give you a prophetic word here. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay? That's what God's will is. He doesn't say be strong in your personality. Be strong because you've got a lot of education. Be strong because you've got a great job. And your strength lies in just your self-attitude about who you are and how, how gifted you are and wonderful you are and great place in life who are, uh, that you are. No, as a matter of fact, you're weak. But God wants to be your strength. God is my strength. And <clears throat> as I pause and think about that I can think of so many things in my own life and past I wouldn't have made it through that trial I wouldn't have made it through that problem I wouldn't have made it through the effects of that sin unless God had strengthened me to rise and walk in him 
And that's what I believe, one of, the, one of many things I think God is saying, in the midst of the shaking that we're experiencing right now, which may be on the decline, but are you coming out of that problem with new strength? Okay? Then, as I uh, tension uh, a minute ago, notice that the new temple was not quite as fancy as the old one. Maybe the things God is leading you into may not be quite as fancy, may not be quite as enjoyable as where you came from. He doesn't want us to glorify the good old days, but he wants us to be strong in the now. Amen? Then he says, be strong and work. Here's a question for you in your pausing and thinking. Have you found your kingdom job yet? Do you know what God wants you to do? Do you know what <clears throat> he wants you to be busy at? Remember Jesus saying he had to be about the Father's business? What's the Father's business for your life? You probably know more about that than anybody. And the only way to find out is to pause and think about that. Ask God. Do you realize that while you are still here on planet Earth, there may be some things that God wants you to do before it's too late. He wants you to do. He might want you to help someone, to help a particular person. He might want you to encourage somebody that nobody else is encouraging. He may want to have you do some special prayer about a person that no one else knows about but you. You may be, you ever think about that? You may be the only picture of Christ that some people ever see. These are the people we don't want to miss out on. Okay, pause and think about that. Talk to God. There's still time. Okay? Now, then it goes on to say, verse 8. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Okay? Do not fear. His spirit is amongst us. There's another prophetic word. Do not fear. Fear not. Well, if there's anything repeated more in Scripture, I don't know what it would be other than fear not. It said time and time and time again, do not be afraid. Did you ever wonder why God would say something and then he'd say, fear not? What I understand is that God knew five minutes later you were going to fear, and so that when you became afraid, he could say, I told you to fear not. So there's things that we are fearful of. Right now in the midst of the pressure, midst of the shaking that we're experiencing as a city, as a portion of the body of Christ as a nation, there's things that could look really bad. What if my business is destroyed? What if this thing happens or this thing happens? Uh, it's going to change everything, and I don't know if I'll be able to handle it or not. And you're fearful. Don't forget, God wants to be your strength. God makes us to stand in an evil day. The writer, preacher A.W. Tozer said one time, a scared world 
needs a fearless church. Think about that. As a Christian believer, as a representative of Christ in us, in me, in you, people don't need to see us afraid of the same things that they're afraid of. You know, God has called us, called you to be different. The Bible calls that peculiar. We're peculiar people. So one of the things that I can, that I have learned that people, that non-believers can notice about my life is the things that upset them don't bother me. It doesn't mean that I don't care. It just means that I've got a strength that shows on the outside. Do not fear. Be strong in the Lord. You know, if you have fear, if fear is ruling your life, then your faith is flawed. But ask the Holy Spirit. He knows how to mend it. Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Now, I remember the first time I read that, I thought, what? You know, again? What do you think the people that heard this for the first time said? We just came out of this horrible shaking, and you're talking about another one? Behold, I will shake the world again. Well, I'm not sure exactly how many shakings lie ahead of us. Okay? I thought about naming this sermon a whole lot of shaking going on, but I, I realized there would probably be some people that wouldn't, make, wouldn't get the humor in that and realize where that came from. But anyway, yeah, there's shakings that are going on. There's shakings that affect you. There's shakings going on that affect other people that ultimately, as a consequence of their shaking, you get one too, right? There's nations that are being shaken. It, we're finding out how connected people are in shakings. We get shaken, and we don't do what we used to do, and people wonder why. Because the shakings cause us to change. And if we're pausing to think about that, and allowing God to be our strength and fearing not, the change will be for the good. But the change that he's after is always the one that leads us on the ancient path to become what God wants us to become as an individual, as a body. So, and then he says, after verse 6, verse 7, I will shake all nations. I don't know if I said this a while ago, but... A preacher that I'm familiar with, I saw on Facebook the other day, says, this shaking we're experiencing right now, where the entire world is being affected by, is the first time that God has dealt with the whole planet all at the same time since the flood. Wow, what a statement, what a thought. God is shaking everything. I remember a few days ago... Watching the news, they talked about some. <clears throat> they talked about the island of Guam and several islands out in the Pacific. You know, way, way out there. You know, had gotten their first case of the flu. And you think, you know, how did they get it? <laughs> they get it out there. Somebody had to bring them to it, bring it to them. So the world is being shaken. You know, we're experiencing some things that people that you don't know and probably never will know are experiencing some of the same thoughts way thousands of miles from here. But the world, you know, the, the word of the Lord to the world, I think is pause and think about that. Calmly think about that. Who has the power to dismiss this plague? Who has the power 
to make it that it actually is turned into something good. God and God alone. That's who we need to learn to look to. And then he goes on to say, I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house, of this present house, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in that place I will grant peace, declares the Lord. Okay, a couple of quick thoughts out of that. He talks about shaking the heavens and the earth until the silver and gold show up, until the the silver and gold are obvious. And it's interesting the way God talks about that. He said, the silver and gold are mine. How can we understand silver and gold here? I think things of value are revealed during a shaking. Silver and gold, things of great value in people, whether it's seen or unseen things. I don't think he's talking about shaking our bank account so that all our money disappears. I think he's talking about the things that he put in us that are things of value that maybe have not been discovered yet. Maybe they have not become obvious yet. Things of value. You realize that in the <clears throat> in uh, dealing with silver ore and gold ore, to get it to yield its treasure takes a shaking and violence. <laughs> violence shaking and a heating and making it so hot that it comes, it comes to uh, reveal itself. Gold ore, silver ore. Now, using that as sort of an example, a shaking is what brings the best and the worst out of us. We find out that there are things that we are fearful of, that we weren't fearful when everything was going just fine. We find out that there are good things and good desires in me in me and us that we want to change, and it just seems like there's special grace during the shaking for God to bring out those valuable things in us that he's, put with, that he's put within us so that the world can see, so that people can see our good works and glorify their Father in heaven, that people can see Jesus on the inside of us, see the fruit of the Spirit, the power of God, the, the gifts of the Spirit on the inside of us. The old ways might have been good enough to bring us to where we are now, but they won't take us as far as God wants us to go. There's got to be change. There's got to be change in me if I'm going to go where God wants me to go in area of completion, area of any kind of maturity. So, I want to give you a, a sort of a mentioning here a list of some of the things that I think that the Lord has laid on my heart during this time, during the last couple of weeks. And so... You can uh, write them down or whatever. But these are things that God has laid on my heart to pray. It doesn't mean that it's time for you to pray those things. But the idea that I want to get across today is in the midst of the way that you are being affected by this quarantine and the way that you are being affected by being sort of locked up and not be as free to do what you may want to do, you're seeing changes that you don't understand, you have some fear, think on these things. Is it really my delight to do his will? Okay? 
don't, this is not a time for Christians to be casual about their commitment to God. It's time to be serious about your commitment to God. There's things going on out there that have never happened before. Only God could be speaking through that. It's good to remember God is greater than the plague. God is greater than flu. God is greater than disease. Here's something I believe the Lord wants to see change in his body during this time. Prayerless believers should learn to become real intercessors. How's your prayer life? Is it a much a part of you as your own right arm? Or is it a time that you seek God only when bad things come? There's a old funny story about a guy that was on a, a ship that sunk out in the middle of the ocean and he's clinging to a board in the middle of the ocean. And he says, God, I haven't prayed in 15 years, but if you get me out of this, I promise I won't bother you for another 15 years. Okay? Don't be that way. <laughs> That's a very, cas- very casual relationship, if at all, with God. Prayer should be a regular thing in our lives. Prayer and devotion and quiet time with God should be something that we are learning more about regularly. And you know who the best teacher to show you how that works is? The Holy Spirit. But you've got to ask him. Lord, lead me into a better prayer life. Lead me into a closer, deeper devotion and relationship that I can hear your voice. What are you saying to me, Lord? What are you saying to me that I need to pass on to my family, that I need to pass on to people at work? What are you saying to me that will cause change? So, I believe the Lord wants to change, new topic here, grudge holders into forgivers. Have you ever asked the Lord, God, is there anybody I need to forgive that I haven't thought of yet? (laughs) That's a great way to get some healing on the inside. Unforgiveness, held anger, bitterness, resentment, held on to year after year after year, which controls our behavior, is spiritual poison that ultimately spills over into the physical and the mental. So God, forgive us of the way we may be responding to somebody that hurt us. Yeah, there's people that maybe have hurt you, and God's going to deal with their sin. But the way you may be responding to them is your sin. If it's anger, if it's vengeance, if it's hatred, allow God to make you into a prime forgiver. Forgive. Next thing, put away idols of materialism and greed. Paul talks about learning to be content in whatsoever thing he did in Philippians. There's so many things in our lives, particularly as probably Westerners or Americans, that we find as our peace if we are gaining in material wealth. And consequently, that makes us greedy The word covet, remember, thou shalt not covet. The word covet, best translation is to want more. And when you want more and you get more, you know what happens? You want more. You know, having silver is not the cure for wanting more silver. It just makes you want more. 
materialism works that way. We begin to compare ourselves with ourselves. And I'm, I'm not as rich or I'm not as good as my next door neighbor or that guy I saw on TV. And coveting the, another person's life to get my identity from is sin. Your identity is something that is between you and God. God has made you thusly, and he can change you. In the midst of pressure, we will want to change because that's when peace comes is when we're obeying God and we're not worshiping the idols of materialism, having more stuff, and greed. Next point. Humble yourselves and pray that the body of Christ be brought to greater level of purity and holiness. Purity. Word we don't hear a lot. Purity, a pure liquid, pure water, means that it's H2O. So much hydrogen, so much oxygen. Not H, not pure, pure water is not water and a bunch of other stuff in it too. That's not very pure. When you have distilled water, it's because you've taken water that's not pure, boiling it, separating it into <clears throat> its elements, steam, and then recondensing it into pure distilled water without impurity in it. That's a good chemical example. <clears throat> There's things in us that are good and bad. There's times that I feel like I'm delighting to do the Lord's will. And then a few minutes later, I'm desiring not to do the Lord's will. <laughs> desiring to, you know, feed my flesh. To think about or to go do what I want to do. Okay? So, we need to allow God. I'm talking to the church now, to the believers. We, we need to ask God to heal us on the inside. We need to ask God, Lord, what is the thing that you're working on in me? And I know that <clears throat> what you have called me to be, I'm not there yet. You know, many years ago, I had the thought come to mind, which I think was the Lord speaking to me, that someday before I pass from this planet, I want to be able to say, as Jesus did, I have accomplished the will. I've accomplished the things that you've given me to do. Have you ever prayed that? That you want God to be pleased with your life and that he would even say, welcome, come into my house. <laughs> All right? So thinking about what are you doing right now that really is a waste of time on an eternal scale. Ask God. <clears throat> to do whatever it takes to make a greater purity in your spirit, a greater evidence of Christ for the world to see. Purity and holiness. Holiness is sort of a derivative of the word whole, W-H-O-L-E. God is holy because he's undamaged by sin. We are damaged by sin the sins we've created and done ourselves, as well as being the recipient of somebody else's, other people's sin. That damaged us. 
There's a lot of people that you have seen and that we that we need that we uh, pray for who are damaged on the inside, not because of their own sin, but because of somebody else's sin against them. And they say, well, I'm, it wasn't my fault. Why am I hurting so bad? Because the way that we're responding to it is our sin. We're hating back. We're wanting vengeance. We're blaming God. All these things are not what makes up a mature character in Christ. So, we're praying during this time of pressure when the church should learn to pray more and better according to the will of God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit is that we can, so we can pray the will of God. Realize that the spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead, that same Holy Spirit has come alive in you. And he also is leading you how to pray for the will of God to intercede for you, to go between and intercessory prayer. Things you don't even understand. He'll give you to pray about and then maybe you'll understand them later. But that's what we need to do. We need to be praying the will of God in our lives. Me praying for the will of God in your life and vice versa and the church. Certainly also for our nation. Okay. Next thought, non-believers during this time should recognize that this is a time to repent and ask for forgiveness of their sins and ask Jesus to be the Lord of their lives. This is non-believers. They are to put away trusting in their riches, put away even trusting in your Education doesn't mean education is bad, but if that's your God, then it's competing with the real God's position. Put away the things that are trying to bring you peace with God that are not the things that God has given you to have peace with him. It is only through the blood of the Son of God that can give you eternal life and peace. Only God can change your heart, being born again. That's the word of the Lord to non-believers in the midst of this shaking. The word of the church is similar but not the same. We need to confess our sins as well and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Christ and more of his will in our lives as individuals and as a corporate body. In small towns, big towns, nations, etc. One of the things to remember in the midst of all of this is God is on your side. New things are coming. I don't know that I could tell you a lot of what the church should be looking like a year from now. But if things work the way I believe God wants them to, we will be different. Because we are under a shaking let us not miss this day of visitation. And here's a thought to remember. The word restoration begins with rest. Restoration. Resting. Whether we are believers or unbelievers, 
This is a time to come to God's mercy. This is a time to behold the mercy as well as the severity of God. This is the time to recognize what we're experiencing as a nation and as individuals. A time, a moment of Selah. The notes have played a certain way. The music has gone a certain way. But now God has provided a time for us to pause and think about where we've been and where we're going. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.